This is the Jocko Underground Podcast, number 82, sitting with Echo Charles. Also me here. My name is Jocko Wollink. Um, here's a question that I posed the other day. <laughs> and as soon as I ask you this question, you're going to think. You're going to know the answer, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be one of those things where you go, yep. Mm. Here's the question. If you don't follow the rules, do you get more or less rules? Mm-hmm. And this is like another interpretation of discipline equals freedom. That's mm-hmm. what it is. It's another interpretation of discipline equals freedom. But my original angle on it, on asking this question, came from not thinking about discipline equals freedom, but I was working with some working with some people, working with a company. They have workers. The workers have a lot of freedom in this particular company. There's not a lot of supervision. People out there on their own doing their own thing, kind of. And some people take advantage of it. And they are not doing what they're supposed to be doing in some cases, but it's really hard to track. Maybe they take the extra long lunch break. Maybe they leave a little early. Maybe they show up late. Maybe they're not doing the procedures that they're supposed to be doing. And so guess what happens? Like, like these things start to show up. And then what does corporate start to do? Well, corporate then starts imposing rules. And then what happens? You know, there's like... um. These days, you can you can track people, mm. like in a multitude of ways. Technology, mm. you can. I if if you worked for me and we were a software company, mm. I could monitor your activity on your computer all day, mm. and be like, hey, you you know you were on your computer, you only were active on your keyboard for this many things, you only put in this many characters. Mm. There was there was an an hour and an hour and forty eight minutes in the afternoon where you didn't. You didn't input any characters. Hmm. What were you doing? Right? Yeah. What were you doing? Or what if you were law enforcement? And now I'm tracking you with a GPS. And I'm like, oh, from you know 1 o'clock in the afternoon until 3.48, you were in this parking lot. Mm. In the back corner of this parking lot, what were you doing? How were you helping John Q. Public? Right, so I can start tracking you. Now I can start putting on rules. Yeah. And now how do you feel? Now you're getting frustrated, right? Now you feel like I'm watching you. You feel like I'm micromanaging you, and I am. Why is that? Well, it's because you were violating some stuff. So as I'm talking to this company, I ask, the, I ask that question to the workers, to the, to the frontline troops. I said, let me ask you a question. If you don't follow the rules, do you get more or less rules? And you could see the lift, their faces kind of like, hmm. He's got a point there. <laughs> you do. But here's the thing. It's everyone knows the answer to that question. If you don't follow the rules, do you get more or less rules? The answer is of course you're going to get more rules. That's what's going to happen. And you've been experiencing this since you were a kid. When you were a kid and you broke a rule, you didn't get less rules, you got more rules. When you're a kid and you your grades go down, you get more rules. You have mandatory homework time. You've got study hall you have to go to. If you're causing problems at recess, you get more rules. So you're not allowed to go to recess. You've got to sit here, write your name, write the, I will not, you know, push Freddie around the playground anymore. You've got to write that on the board a thousand times. Mm-hmm. You're going to get more rules. If you break more rules, you get more rules. Same thing as an employee or a team member. It's the same thing. If you break more rules, you get more rules. Actually, I told them about the Marine Corps. Now, you know I love the Marine Corps. Yes, I do. Marine Corps is freaking outstanding. If you go to a Marine Corps range, a lot of rules. Mm. They, you know, hey, you will now lock and load five rounds in your weapon. Ready on the left, ready on the right. You will now fire one round at a time at your target at 40 meters. Stand by on the left, stand by on the right. Commence firing, everyone fires five rounds. Mm. Cease fire, cease fire. You go to a SEAL range, there's just like no rules. Mm. Of course there's rules, very limited rules. Why is that? Well, in the Marine Corps, at some point, somebody shot you know, outside the field of fire, so they made a rule. Mm. Somebody shot too early, they made a rule. Somebody shot too late, they made a rule. Somebody went full auto when they weren't supposed to, they made a rule. Somebody snuck some rounds off the range when they were done, they made a rule. Somebody wasn't shooting 
the right targets, they made a rule. So they end up making all these rules and you're getting control. That's what happens. You become less effective actually. But why is that? It's because people broke the rules and so they put more rules in place. If you're a human being, it's the same thing. If you break rules, or more commonly as just a human, if you don't have rules, you're gonna get ruled. This is the discipline equals freedom. This is another angle on discipline equals freedom. Mm. That is why what we have to do as people is give ourselves rules. You have to give yourself rules to follow. You have to, you have to wake up. You have to wake up early in the morning. You have to work out. You gotta take that cold shower. You gotta get your work done for your job. You gotta do that well. The better you do that, the more freedom you're gonna get. Hey, if you're getting micromanaged at work, do better. If you feel like you don't have control over your own destiny, do better, you'll get more control. Be more productive. The more productive you are, the more freedom you're gonna get at work. Guaranteed, it's guaranteed. Limit the amount, set some rules on the amount of time you're spending looking at a screen. Put rules on that. Otherwise that screen's gonna rule you. Put rules in place, eat clean. What are you doing? Put some rules around what you're putting into your body. Put rules in place. If you're just doing whatever, you're gonna have problems. The food is gonna rule you. Go to bed on time. Go to sleep when you're supposed to time to go to sleep. And if you follow these rules that you make for yourself, you're gonna have less things in life ruling you. You know, when you work hard enough, eventually you don't have a boss anymore. You're your own boss. When you make enough money, eventually that money's not on your mind anymore. It's not ruling your life. You're not worried about how you're gonna afford the rent. The money's not ruling you anymore when you work hard. When you're healthy, you're not ruled by disease. You're not ruled by fatigue. If you rule yourself with discipline, you will end up with more rules, which will, in fact, give you freedom. So there you go. Those are my thoughts for the day. Another angle, same gig. Yeah. All right. That's a good one, man. Mm-hmm. It's a good one. It's a the look on their face when I asked that question, Yeah. You, everyone knew the answer. You immediately know the answer. Yeah. And yet you're running around breaking rules trying to see what you can get away with. Yeah. Just, just you might as well just ask for more rules. Ask yeah. to be micromanaged. Would you even say, and this is just my mind going a little bit, at least a little bit, would you say the more rules you don't follow, kind of in a way, the more rules you need? Because it feels like that's what your boss is thinking, right? Yeah, well, like, oh, you can't, you can't stay on the rails given what we're trying to do yeah, or whatever, yeah. so you obviously need more rules. For, that's what know? I'm saying. That's the point. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yes, you're right. So, like, with even with yourself, because the reason I thought of that is, like, I'm thinking about my young self versus mm. my older self. So, when in my older self, fortunately, I'm more my own boss in many more aspects of life rather than, you know, especially when you're young, you got a job, you have a boss and I get come here on time or whatever. So, but now I got to manage my own time way more. Mm-hmm. I can eat whatever I want. When you're a kid, my mom doesn't let me eat Oreos. Yeah. Now I can eat as many Oreos as I want, you know, kind of a thing. So it's like one of those things where it's like, yeah, the less rules I have, the more rules I kind of need until I can kind of follow them automatically or whatever, or just follow, follow those rules, you know? Yeah. Otherwise you're just off the rails. That's no Put good the rules for nobody. In place. Discipline equals freedom. Put the rules in place. You'll end up with less rules. Yep. That's the way it works. Counterintuitive, but it's the truth. Yep. Everybody knows it as soon as they hear that question. When you think about it, that discipline equals freedom thing is actually pretty like, <laughs> that's deep, man. It is, man. It's like, a, it's like a weird, it's like a riddle from some like fantasy movie almost. 
Yeah. Come on, bro. Let's face it. Because the more discipline you have, the more freedom you have. It's like, bro, that doesn't even make sense. Oh, yes, it does. To a degree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. First question. All right. Let's get some Q&A. Hello, Jocko. I want to ask this question because I know you both have experience dealing with catastrophic injury. Three years ago, I was bench pressing heavy when I felt a pop. Bro, this is real, by the way. Mm-hmm. I know. Yeah, this is kind of spooky now that I'm older. Anyway, felt a pop, severe pain, lost all strength in the shoulder, went to the doctor the same day, was diagnosed. It was a shoulder sprain, okay, and uh, sent me on my way. Within days, I felt better, got back to the in the weight room, and carried on with life as normal. Many months out, many months later, I was bench pressing when I felt that familiar pop again. At that point, I went to the orthopedic surgeon, who immediately diagnosed it as a complete pectoral rupture. I got surgery, but because my injury was chronic, I now have permanent deficiency in my right shoulder. Now, three years later, I started jujitsu eight months ago. I'm lifting weights within my limitations due to my injury. I'm making the most of my situation. My question is, how can I overcome depression and disappointment that I feel from this situation? I find myself self constantly r- ruminating about how it went wrong. I love jujitsu and weightlifting, but the injury is always in the back of my mind. Any advice would be greatly appreciated. Well, I'm going to do two things. I'm going to talk about two specific comments about this. Uh, first of all, do what you can, right? You do what you can, that, that's what you do. And then when you do what you can, you push so that you can improve over time and become the best that you can become. And what that means is you keep your ego in check when you're on the mat so you're not like trying to resist a, a arm lock or a kimura or something so that you're getting re-injured. You're keeping your ego in check when you're lifting so you're not getting caught up in what you used to be able to do. And then over time you make, you make progress. Or maybe you don't make progress but it doesn't really even matter because what you do is you keep going. You maintain everything that you can. And you keep trying and you keep pushing. That's what you do. So that's part one. Part one is you do what you do, man. That's what you do. You don't get caught up in what you used to be able to do. Because it doesn't matter. Here's the other thing. And, And actually, when you read that question, Echo, I had a different reaction than you. So I would say... My other comment here is to get yourself some perspective. Because when I hear Echo say catastrophic injury, when I hear you read that and I hear you go, oh, what are you thinking? Uh, I'm thinking from experience. Which is what? I had two bicep ruptures. Right. When I think of catastrophic injury, I'm thinking paralyzed from the neck down. I'm thinking loss of arms. I'm thinking loss of legs. I'm thinking blinded. I'm thinking 85% of your body burned. So when I hear catastrophic injury, I'm thinking about you cannot live a normal life in any way, shape, or form anymore. That's what I think of when I think of catastrophic. And I get it, man. Listen, I absolutely hate being injured. I freaking hate it. I've had a... relatively small injuries in my life. But I've been dinged up. You know, I had my arm in a sling. I can't, I can't even really say these things with a straight face. I really just can't. I can't. Because what I'm thinking of is Dan Knossen, right? Who, by the way, just never complains about anything. Travis Mills, when's that? Well, can you make a video of Travis Mills complaining? No, you can't because it doesn't exist. Rob Jones, Jim Searlesley, Jason Redman, Kirsty Ennis. Like these are people, these are wounded warriors and look, these are just some of the some of them that have been on 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 this podcast, and these people are amazing. They're not complaining. They're not getting disappointed about the fact that they can't do what they used to be able to do. You know what they do is they figure out what they can do and they go freaking crush it. That's what they do with their truly catastrophic injuries. So let's get some perspective. And look, man, I get it, dude. I freaking hate being injured. I hate it. I hate it. But I'm thankful. 
when I tear my MCL and I can put a brace on and I can train with a brace on for a few months and then it's okay or I hurt my arm really bad and it gets put in a sling and over time it heals up and I can't quite do what I used to be able to do but I can still do everything I can still train I can still play guitar I can still surf I can still do everything so you can still do everything Maybe your freaking bench isn't quite as big. Who cares, man? Get it to the best that you can and freaking carry on and be a badass like the rest of these wounded warriors that I'm talking about. That's what I got. Yeah, makes sense. And that's like a dose of perspective, right? Where, is, and and <clears throat> in a big way, that and that kind of stuff I don't forget about for sure. And when I hear catastrophic, yes, that's... That's what I would consider catastrophic. No I was looking how. at your face even when I said like, hey, what do you think of when you think of catastrophic? As soon as I asked you that question, you're like, oh, he, I, you knew what I'm yes. thinking about. Yes, sir. And and I even think about that when I hear catastrophic. Right. But, you know, you read and I'm like, okay, this guy's version of catastrophic. Mm-hmm. So I'll go down there. And then, yeah. you know, the, and then the tear of the full, the full rupture. I knew I already knew when he said I was bench pressing and I heard a pop. Okay. Because, you know, the cake nuts. Mm-hmm. He did the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Tore his thing in a bench press con- competition. That's when it happens a lot of times. Wait, what, when was that? Oh, I don't know. A few was, years ago. Oh, okay, cool, it was like cool. when he was on deployment. Yeah, damn. Yeah. So anyway. Um, yes. Yeah, so that's what I'm thinking. With, so I just went back back down to that level where it's like, okay, like obviously not a, a pulled hamstring mm-hmm. when he was, you know, running up the hill or whatever. It's like obviously something yep. that's going to require yep. some surgeries you know, coming and all that. Yeah, exactly. Right. So and then the full rupture. I mean, that's like a given an arbitrary exercise injury. It's, yeah, that's it's not nothing. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it sucks. Right. It sucks for sure, man. Yeah. I hate being injured. I hate it. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I could identify with with him a little bit. Where you know, I pop both mine. I hate being injured so much that it's actually surprising that I do what I do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But well, but the reason I hate being injured is because that means I can't do what I want to do. So yes. there's, I guess, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. Exactly. And I to, I think about that all the time and if I don't stop thinking about it or start thinking about something else I'll spiral in that thing where I'm be like hey I shouldn't like lift this heavy weight right now even though I'm like trying to push myself I don't go heavy like one two rep maxes anymore Mm -hmm. just because it doesn't matter just like how you kind of mentioned like oh you can't bench as much as you could none of us can Mm -hmm. but nonetheless I still do want to push myself I do want to maintain a bunch of stuff physically right so I'm sitting there looking at the weight and I'm like if I do this, I'm kind of risking injury right now. But then I'm like, well, if I'm injured, I'll be at the same spot as if I don't do this weight right now. Because it's like the reason I don't want to be injured because if I'm injured, I can't do this weight. Mm. So I'm going to do just not do this weight. <laughs> like it, it's this weird circle, yeah, yeah. you know? And so, also, if you don't do the weight, not the super heavy weight, but if you don't do the exercise, that's going to fade. And now <laughs> you're going to get injured because you aren't doing the exercises. Yeah. I truly believe that the reason that I've been relatively injury free is because I lift really consistently. Yeah, I think that's been very good for me. Yeah, so well, you get these ruptures for, because you're essentially, and this is just kind of the anatomical kind of formula here, mm. is when your muscles are too strong for your tendons to hold onto the bone. Yeah. So I'm not saying, oh, I can just flex my muscle, and that's not how it happens. It happens when you have enough adrenaline to have a, a single burst of muscle mm. contraction that. The peaks super mm. high at a certain Higher extension, normal, by the yeah. way. Yeah, usually it's usually not in the mid extension, it's usually when it's fully extended. Mm. So, a bench at the bottom of the bench that's usually somewhere in the bottom yeah. when it's stretched, and then you get that adrenaline boom, that one rep max yeah. that in a competition or something yeah. like this might happen in jujitsu. Let's mm. face it, that's when the adrenaline's going. When I did a very specific explosive things both times, <laughs> nine years apart, by the way, but yeah. so that's when it happens, but yes. That is a low level. It's not a level one injury. Yeah. It's not a saying. level one injury. I get it. But yeah, and a lot oh, of man. this stuff. This Be is super what I think. stoked, man. Be super happy. Be well, like, hell yeah, you can get surgery. There's things yeah. that you can do to get well, it totally repaired. There's a fix. And I think I think a lot of this, and I tore part of my top bicep because mm-hmm. there's two. There's a distal and proximal. That's mm-hmm. our my culture. But anyway, you have two tendons in the the proximal. The one the one goes to your shoulder, or they both go up to your shoulder, whatever. One of mine is torn. So I don't, there's a, there's some mobility, I get pain, I get certain strength deficits where in the shoulder or whatever. I just got to accept that. Mm-hmm. So a big part of this kind of stuff, especially obviously he's into weightlifting mm-hmm. and obviously weightlifting hard enough where he can rip the tendon up. So he's got to be strong. Might've been in a competition, just jujitsu, all this stuff. So a lot of the times these weights, 
especially if he's talking about his bench isn't what it used to be, that becomes slowly, as you lift weights and get stronger and stronger, it slowly becomes part of your identity a little bit. Yep. So it's like, dang, I, I'm, I'm not this strong guy anymore. And even if I am the, the quote-unquote strong guy, as I'm not the strong guy I used to be. You know, it's like the identity thing. So if you just kind of shift the identity and be like, hey, this is it. Like, I'm old strong guy now. Mm-hmm. I'm old. This is my battle scar right here. Yep. And sure, my art, like Boss Rutin, you know Boss Rutin, yeah. right? You know, he had a spine thing, so yeah. now one of his arms isn't as buff as yeah. it used to be. But that's new boss right now. Yeah. That's that's his battle wound right there, and boom, he's going to keep rolling. See what I'm saying? For sure. So you kind of look at it that way. I think that helps a lot. Yeah. Try to maintain flexibility, whatever strength you can. You're good to go. Check. Next, Next question. question. Hey, guys. My wife is a sales manager at a company she's loved and been with for four years. Her company is growing quickly and recently hired a VP of sales who became her boss's boss. He makes a lot of decisions that affect her and the people she manages. I recently finished Extreme Ownership and, after processing the fantastic lessons you discuss in that book, find myself with some less than civil feelings towards the new VP. He, he effectively embodies the exact opposite of Extreme Ownership and my wife has never had, worse working experience, had a worse working experience in her life. My question is as follows. What are a few courses of action you would recommend she take in order to better the situation? Yeah, that's always a bummer. Um, uh, number one, freaking do awesome work. Do awesome work. Let these little things that he's doing, these decisions, adapt, figure out, overcome. Don't get frustrated about them. Just like, okay, oh, that's how you want it? Cool, cool. We're going to do We're going to kick it in the ass. Do awesome work. That is such a, such a foundation for what we talked about earlier, right? You, you, you don't like these new rules? Cool, crush and dominate. And you, in sales, be the number one sales team. Be the number one sales team and you're gonna get all kinds of flexibility. So let's do that. Let's do awesome work, first and foremost. And you can explain that to the team. You don't have to be like, hey team, you know, I'm sorry that this boss is horrible. You'd be like, hey, the boss is making some decisions. Those are coming down on us, doesn't matter. What we're gonna do is we're gonna, we're gonna gain trust, we're gonna gain respect by dominating. That's what we're gonna do. And then I'll be able to make some discussion points to go back up the chain of command of some areas that need to shift. So do awesome work, build relationships up the chain of command, don't take things personal. And while you're doing this, you're gonna build credibility. You be, be the number one sales team. I've never been in a company where the number one sales team that's bringing in all the revenue yeah. didn't have a lot of influence over how things get done and don't get the support you need. And then if you're doing that, if you're dominating, you can influence this leader over time. Now listen, sometimes a new leader comes in, also this could be the case, sometimes a new leader comes in and they wanna play the, they wanna play the new sheriff in town game, right? They want everyone to know, Jocko's here. Hey, from now on, every Tuesday, we're gonna have a all hands meeting and I want everyone wearing you know, black shirts to get in the right mindset. And everyone's like, dude, what is this guy's problem? I just want everyone to know that I'm in charge now. Yeah. Right? This is what happens. New sheriff in town. No big deal. They get over it after a little while. Forming an antagonistic relationship with them. What, do you think this new boss came in? He's like, I really want to destroy the teams. I really hope their sales go down. No, that's not happening. So try and figure out what he's thinking. Why is he making these decisions? What are you trying to make happen? Maybe you ask some earnest questions about what's going down. Maybe you can ask your boss some earnest questions. Be like, oh, you know, he's having us do, he's changed our price point. Let me show you what our competitors are. Let me show you how many sales we've lost since we changed the price point. Let me show you, look, you present this information. Oh, by the way, our sales are down 17% since we raised our price. And they're trending down further. And here's our competitors' new price point. They actually are not just, not just lower than we are. They're a lot lower than we are. They're crushing us. And they have this little extra service on the back end that they're doing that we're not doing. So, so you've got to present these things. The only way you can do this is have a good relationship. The only way you can do this is if you have the, the performance levels that you can, you can ask for earnest, you can ask earnest questions up the chain of command. So that's my, my primary thing. My, look, don't get mad at this guy. Don't focus on that. It's not going to help you. Instead, be like, oh, you want us to jump through nine hoops on Tuesday mornings? Cool. Where are the, where are the hoops? Show me the hoops. Watch this. I'm going to jump through them real easy. My whole team's going to jump through them, and we're going to get to work. And then after um, two months, I'm going to say, hey, you know those hoops that you're having us jump through on Tuesday morning? 
they're hurting our productivity by 7%. What do you mean? Well, when we're jumping through those hoops, that's a primary time in the morning we're supposed to be calling our outbound calls to clients we're not doing on that day, and that day has a 7% less impact than the other days. Can we jump through these hoops less, or can we do it on Friday afternoons when everyone else is out of the office and our client calls don't? Oh, thank you for pointing that out. Mm. No, I want you to keep losing money. Mm. No. Oh, Friday afternoons works better? Okay, cool. And eventually, you go, hey, can we, are we good with just four rings? Can we just jump through four rings instead of nine? <laughs> and eventually, you go, hey, we're down to two rings. We're still performing. We're the best performing team. This is what you do. In order to make that happen, you probably got to log down what's going on. You got to write the cause and effect. And, and that allows you to sort of present a case up the chain of command in a very professional way. Hey, here's how and why we're losing money. Here's how and why we're losing people. Here's how and why we're losing sales. Here's how and why we are losing clients. Here's how and why we're losing. And again, you're not being offensive with it. You're saying, hey, I want to make sure that everyone understands like, some of the difficulties that we're facing with this new procedure or the hoops that we got to jump through. And then you present solutions. Here's how and why we're losing. Here's how and why we can fix this. And you present those solutions. And, and there's a really good chance that you, as the number one sales leader with the number one team that's kicking ass, that people start to listen to you. Even this guy that's a knucklehead. If he is, in fact, a knucklehead. Maybe he's got some strategy you don't know about. That could be possible. Maybe he's done this at another company and it took a little while to turn around. But once they did it, they, were, they won. We don't know what's going on. That's why we ask earnest questions. Hey, hey, boss, you want us to jump through nine rings on, on Tuesday mornings? Can I get some feedback? And can, I just want to understand why we're doing that so I can explain that to the team, how it's going to help us win. I'm sure you have something, some plan. You log this stuff down. The thing is, if this guy's truly just a horrible leader, eventually he's going to out himself. Because like the sales numbers goes down. That's what happens. Or people start to leave. That's what happens. And, and then you, he's going to be more open to suggestions, most likely. Look, is there a chance this guy's just going to arrogant jerk? Yep, there's a chance. And that's why you've got to have a little bit of an exit strategy ready, right? We're not going to ride, you know, if we're on an airplane and the pilot's heading towards the ground, are we going to say, hey, Mr. Pilot, Mr. Captain, you need to pull back on the stick. This thing's going into the ground. He's like, no, you don't understand. It's like, well, no, I'm, I'm watching the altimeter. Yeah. I, see what our, I see where we're heading. We're going down. We're going down fast. You don't understand. Okay, well, I, I understand. I see the altimeter, and it's going down. We need to pull back on the stick. You, you, you need to go back and do, get in the seats. Mm. No, actually, you need to go back and get your parachute on yeah. before this thing crashes. That's the worst-case scenario. Most likely, that's not what's going to happen. This guy doesn't want to crash the plane into the ground. He wants to save the plane. You might have to massage his ego to get him pulled back on the stick a little bit. Might have to develop a good relationship. But most likely you can solve this problem with awesome performance, building relationships, and then asking earnest questions up the chain of command and presenting really good solutions. Good challenge. Mindset-wise, this is a good challenge for you. Let's make it happen, wife. True. Wife, sales manager. There you go. That's what. Hi, Jocko. I'm a 14 year old. <clears throat> I'm a 14 year old in middle school, and I've been listening to your podcast about every day. I've come to you to you to ask what I should do. I always want to go to the Naval Academy and become a naval aviator. I have good grades, lots of leadership experience, and I'm working on getting my pilot's license. I have about around 24 hours in the air. 24 hours that I'm very proud of. I think I can get there. If I work hard enough, which I'm planning on doing, yet there's some uncertainty involved that just keeps me in this scared state. I'm scared that between the time where I am now and when I apply to the academy, something's going to happen and that's going to terminate my dream. What's this feeling and how can I fix it? Uh, well, that feeling is actually just something called anxiety. That's what it's, it's anxiety. Mm -hmm. And look, in some ways, anxiety is not a bad thing. Yeah. I mean, anxiety is a thing that makes you stay up at night and study extra hard to get good grades. It's a thing that keeps you from going to the freaking party on the weekend to get drunk and doing something stupid. It's a thing that makes you wake up and work out in the morning so you can do a good, you could do good on the PT test to go to the Naval Academy. So, so anxiety, being nervous about what's coming is not necessarily a bad thing, but if it gets out of control, it can be a bad thing. That's kind of where it sounds like you're at. You're worried about things that you can't control. 
That's what you're worried about. You're worried about some things that you can't control. So this is the, the talk I gave to fighters in the UFC was I would compare the mindset because you get a guy that's like, well, what if I get knocked out? Mm-hmm. What if I get caught in a submission? All this work I've done and I go in that cage and the guy catches me with a with a right and it just drops me and I lose the fight or I shoot a takedown and get caught in a guillotine and I tap out 30 seconds into the fight. Mm-hmm. Those would be horrible. And I would compare it to roadside bombs, IEDs in Iraq. And you can do everything right. You can you can come up with a perfect plan. You can mitigate risk as much as you can and you can still get blown up and killed. And you can lose three of your guys, five of your guys. That can happen on any operation. Anytime we left the wire in Ramadi, there was a decent chance someone was gonna get killed. Someone was gonna get shot by a sniper. Someone was gonna get hit with a mortar. Someone was gonna get hit with an IED. And if that would have been my main focus, if I would have been just like, what if someone gets, what if we hit a roadside bomb? What if we hit a roadside bomb? What if someone gets hit with a sniper? What if we get hit with mortars? If that was where my, all my focus was, I would not be focused on the right things, which is this. You might get hit with a roadside bomb, so guess what? You're gonna study the routes and check the intel and see which route would be best and has the lowest probability. Make sure there's no channelized areas. Make sure that you have standard operating procedures in case you do get hit, how are you gonna react to it? That's what I'm gonna focus on. I'm gonna focus on the things I can control. And if you the, if you focus on the things that you can control, you can have an impact on mitigating the risk of the overall operation. So that's what you need to do. You need to focus on the things that you can control because if you focus on the fact that you might blow out your knee or you might bomb the SATs or you whatever thing you want to fantasize about, you might fail your eyesight thing, that happens. If you focus on these things that you can't control, that you cannot control, you're wasting time, you're wasting energy, you're wasting effort, you're wasting resources that actually takes away from your actual chances of getting down this path. Now this is a freaking hard path that you're wanting to go down. It's a really hard path. And the best thing you can do is focus on the things that you can control and put your best foot forward and best efforts into those things that you can control. And then on top of that, have a contingency plan. What are you gonna do if you don't get in the Naval Academy? It's freaking hard to get in the Naval Academy. It's, I think it's, I wanna say it's like a 5% acceptance rate. What are you gonna do if you don't get in? What's your backup plan? You have backup school, backup ROTC program, backup OCS program. Well, what about the Army? The Army, you could go and be a pilot, uh, an Army pilot out of high school. Go be in that warrant officer program. You need to have a backup plan. Some guy's going for a SEAL officer. They have a backup plan. Oh, if I don't get picked up for SEAL officer, I'm just gonna enlist and become a SEAL. Or I'm gonna go in the Marine Corps and become an officer. So you gotta have a backup plan in case you don't get selected, because it could happen. Could happen. And that backup plan should make you feel more comfortable about the fact that, okay, well, if I don't get it this way, I'll get it another way. And if you're paranoid, like, oh, but I really wanna go to the Naval Academy, and people look down on me if I don't go to the Naval Academy, it won't be, it's not my dream. Hey, guess what? Make the best of what you get. Make the best of what you get. That's what you do. And if you have an attitude where you're not gonna make the best of what you get, then you really are on the wrong path. Because you wanna be the type of person that's like, okay, we didn't get everything we need, we we still gotta accomplish this mission, let's go. That's the type of person that you should be if you wanna be in the Navy. If you wanna be a leader in the Navy. What if you worked for a leader that was like, well, we got tasked with the mission, but we didn't get the resources, so this sucks. Really? Or do you wanna have someone that's like, hey, we didn't get the resources we need, but guess what, we're gonna find a way, we're gonna make a way. This is all just a test, man. It's all just a test to see what kind of human being you are. The kind of human being that figures things out and accomplishes regardless of what gets in their way. Or the type of human being that doesn't get what they want and decides, I'm gonna quit. So, come up with some contingency plans, work hard, and things will work out great. There you go. If you, if I, you know how like you said, it's harder to get a 
feel billet mm-hmm. or buds billet. Yeah. What we do. If you're an officer, it's harder. Yeah. A lot than if harder. you enlist, <laughs> enlist is like relatively easy. So if I become an officer, mm-hmm. it's kind of too late to enlist, right? Like, you, or how does that work? Yeah, it's pretty much too late to enlist. So I can't be like, oh, I'm an officer, but let me like go enlist, like in a different pipeline or a different like process. You can't do that. You'd have to like resign your commission, I guess. You could do right. it, I guess. You yeah. could resign your commission, tell them, hey, I don't want to be an officer anymore, and then you could try and enlist. Why, if someone wanted to be a Navy SEAL, why wouldn't they just do that? If they, you know, if they found out. They, could, fe- they could. Yeah, I feel mo- like. Mo- most likely, actually, they don't need to resign their commission because they'll find out before they even get commissioned. Mm. Well, look, you didn't get picked up for SEALs. Okay, then I'm not going to get commissioned. I'm just going to go enlist. Yeah. It feels There's like- a crazy percentage of guys that go to buds right now that don't have their degree like it's crazy it's it's like i want to say it's something like 75 percent 75 percent of the people that go to buds mm-hmm. as enlisted guys have their degree have their, de- have oh, yeah, their yeah. degree so they okay so they're doing what i think they're doing they're the, they're they couldn't get a commission right. they couldn't become an officer mm-hmm. and go to seals so they just go i'll just enlist yeah that feel because i remember you and i think it was actually late who was like there's only a certain amount of billets before i even knew what a mm-hmm. billet was but mm-hmm. I do now, you know, I'm very well versed. But either way, it's, he was like, hey, yeah, there's there's not that many billets, meaning there's not many like opportunities or yep. applicate whatever. Not many slots. Slots, yeah, to go in. But if you're enlisted and it didn't make sense, but after a while it did make sense. I was like, cool. And then I was like, wait a second, you're going to be a Navy SEAL. Like what's the benefit of being an officer in the SEAL teams, you know, after BUDS and mm-hmm. after all the, you know, training to get your trident. Mm-hmm. What's the difference? Like what's the difference if officers you're in are in a leadership position and enlisted guys are and and some people prefer that position. Some people mm-hmm. want to be enlisted because like it's like being uh, if you're on a construction site, yeah. you know you got a guy on a construction site that's a project manager and he's sort of like coming up, he's like looking at the plan and he's implementing the plan mm-hmm. and he's checking to make sure that we have the gear that we need. Mm-hmm. That's what the officer is. The enlisted guys are the people that are pouring concrete. Yeah, and and some people like to pour concrete. Some people want to be a machine gunner. Yeah. They don't want to. They don't want to sit in the office. Not that a SEAL officer sits in the office in the beginning of the crooks. They go out in the field too, mm. but it's a different. It's a different expertise. Mm. This guy's going to be in a leadership position. Going to be, you know, when you look at a guy that's been in for fifteen years. Yeah. You know, I got you could be a platoon chief in fifteen years, so you're still in a platoon, but you're leading the troops that are pouring the concrete. Mm. You know, you're overseeing what's actually happening, as opposed to the officer that's, hey, look, uh, make sure that this is the right plan. Make sure that the way the the concrete's gonna be here on the right time. Make sure that the design of the foundation is correct. Okay. And by the way, and you know, so that's, it's like a different job. It's like the tradesman versus the manager. Um, And I was very lucky I did both, you know? I started off as an enlisted guy, and then I moved up into the officer realm. It's pretty, pretty, pretty cool to be able to do that officers get more money mm. uh wait more money for the more same, money for their job same work kind of, or it's different jobs i guess different right jobs but they get more money yeah so, so i you know what i'm realizing right now i'm thinking like if you're in the seal teams it's like you just choose your position like a football team kind of like hey you just choose your position and you guys go but you guys are all part of the same exact team yeah but then then there's like i don't know coaches the coach. or so yep. so the yep. okay so and correct me if i'm wrong i think i got it so Let's say you're at a restaurant mm-hmm. and you have a manager, you have the owner, the manager, let's say two managers, right? General mm-hmm. manager and like two managers under that. And then you got your wait staff mm-hmm. and your bussers, mm-hmm. say. So enlisted guys is like wait staff, bussers, mm-hmm. um, those guys. And then the managers come in because they have maybe managed at this restaurant. We're going to hire a new yeah, manager. Yeah. And also that one of those waiters might end up being like the overall in charge of the wait staff, right? Okay. And well, the we'll chef, the head waiter, right? The head waiter. There you go. And that, that's an enlisted guy. Yeah. That could okay. be like a, okay. a leading petty officer in a SEAL okay. platoon. Yeah. Like he's like, yep, I already did three platoons. Yeah. And now I'm going to be overall in charge of the wait staff. Okay. Right? So or or, or in the kitchen, right? Yeah. Like let's face it, in the kitchen, there's a guy that's peeling uh, potatoes. Right. Right. Yeah. Right? That's like a new guy enlisted guy. He's yeah. like got the bare minimum job. <laughs> then after a while, he he's like gets pretty good at peeling potatoes. Then he's doing uh, food prep. Right now he's got all food prep. He's not just potatoes. He's doing all food prep. Cool. Yeah. Then all of a sudden he's doing short order. So he's getting more and more skills. That guy could like what I did eventually said, oh, okay, I'm actually going to be 
own the restaurant. Maybe not quite own the restaurant, but I'm gonna be like in charge of the a manager, the yeah. restaurant manager. Right. So, so that's what I was saying. Like where where it's a difference between you know anytime you have a hiring position. Let's say we're just kind of just through the lifespan of the restaurant where um, certain managers leave or get fired or whatever. Then we got to replace that manager. Yep. The enlisted guys are they kind of the guys who are like, hey, I want to get promoted, and they promote in house. Yep. To manager, yep. and to get promoted to manager, do they have to go through the officer program? If they're going to become an actual officer, and look, there's part of this program that doesn't make sense. Okay. Part of the system doesn't make sense. Okay. Part of the system is inherited from the British aristocracy that wanted their young kids to be in charge. Okay. So how do I how do I make my son in charge? Well, I send him to college. And then I make him an officer, and then I put him in charge of people. Okay. It doesn't really make sense. Right. As opposed to, wait, we have a bunch of soldiers, and this guy's been a soldier for 12 years, 15 years, 20 years. He should actually be in charge of the other soldiers. But if you're, uh, you know, some duke in England, and you don't want your son to be just a regular soldier, you want to put him in charge, you want him to be respected. Cool. We come up with this whole officer system, and now the officers who have, the only difference between an officer and an enlisted guy is the officer went to college. <laughs> yeah. Especially in the SEAL teams. Because there's not a whole lot of specialty officer training that they get along the way. Mm. They get on the job training, but it's not radically different. Like in the, in the Marine Corps, you go to the basic school, you go to the officer infantry school, like those are pretty significant blocks of training where you're gonna learn a lot. Mm. The SEAL teams doesn't really have that as much. You do on-the-job training for the officers. Mm. So there's part of the system as you try and like give me a puzzled look of like, wait a second, does that really make sense? Part of it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Part of it's like, hey, we institute, they instituted this system to make sure that the rich kids got put in charge because the rich kids went to college. Yeah, okay, yeah. And that that's clearer now. Yeah. So like a manager scenario, the guy can get come come in and get hired as a manager or or a ma- or what do you call it, assistant manager. Yeah. Right? Imagine a kid that went to uh, a, like college and got his degree in restaurant, restaurant management. management. There yes, you go. Exactly. This guy could go in there and get put in position and be above quote unquote, you know, technically on paper above a guy that's been working there for six years. Got it. Yep. Understand. So sometimes not. it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Now look, if that restaurant manager went to school and he's really sharp and he is going to learn on the job too, yeah. like he's on a different track. Yeah. Than the e dog. Yeah. Okay. Right. The e dog is like a sled dog, man. Wait. So okay. So the officers are o o. Yep. Okay. 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 Yeah. I understand now fully because I don't know if I guess my mind just went to the idea of like, hey, you guys are all seals. You're all the same. And then it's like this guy's like an officer randomly. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, all right, well. <laughs> What about the guy who's been there for a long time? It's like, okay, but it's essentially like what? The officer kind of goes in with the intention of being on the fast track to be like a leader. Yeah. Meanwhile, the enlisted guys, hey, we're just here to work yep. and do our Navy SEAL stuff. Yep, yep. Gotcha. Give me a machine gun. Yeah. Yep. I want to be a machine gunner. Yeah. Okay, then that makes sense too where there's only a certain amount of billets because it's like we can't just put everybody in charge. You know, we need like, yep. we need the... the, yep. the, the and there's a technical job that the officer's doing. They're doing a certain amount of planning like administrative planning, they're putting together slides, they're running yeah. the paperwork up the chain of command. That's the, that's like technically their job. Yeah. Even if you did away with the officers, you'd still need someone that was like, hey, your job is to write this paperwork, your job is to write these evaluations. You'd need someone to do that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So like in a nightclub, for, I'm thinking of my nightclub days, you have you have a head door guy and then I kind of a his, an assistant head door guy, right? And the head door guy, he'll be that, there's no manager of the door guy. Sometimes there is. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of a manager too. He'll he'll deal with the cashier and stuff like that. But sometimes there isn't. Just like how you just said, somebody needs to do that. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, running paperwork up and, you know, taking care of, I don't know, certain closing activities yep. and stuff like that. Someone's got to do it. So indeed, let's try to make it someone who's kind of trained before they even come in. They know the general thing of how generally speaking the clubs are run, you know, come in. That's your officer right there. Yep. Oh, see, you learn something new every day. There you go. All right. Uh, next question. Hey, Jocko Echo. I'm 23-year-old. I'm a 23-year-old guy about to join the Army and go fight, go to flight school. As a warrant. Recently, you went on the modern the Modern Wisdom podcast with Chris Williamson, and his content exposed me to something called the Manosphere, and that led to the Red Pill community. 
While Chris Williamson does not agree with the red pill community, he talks about it a lot. So I started looking into it through learning about some of these ideas they preach in red pill specifically. It seems like it can be potentially harmful and change the way some young men view women and life in general. I was curious as to your thoughts on the whole red pill and manosphere space online and how you think it could potentially impact growing boys and young men in the future. Thank you for your podcast and introducing me to the path. I recently received my blue belt as well in jujitsu. I'm not super familiar with the, 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 the stuff. Um, I Googled it right straight up. I just Googled it and I found like some headlines like how the red pill helped elect Donald Trump and how the red pill is linked to toxic masculinity and anti-feminism, how it is quote favored by men's rights groups and conspiracy theorists and TikTok incels and the red pill. So there's a bunch of things out there. Uh, so it seems to me like it's some kind of an underground trend online. Uh, I found a glossary of like red pill words. Uh, a Walt. All women are like that. Uh, they talk a lot about alpha, beta, omega, you know, people or men. They have terms like the average frustrated chump. This is the nice guy who's been destroyed by feminism. <laughs> There's the, I guess Chad is a familiar yep. term. <laughs> and it's a, the, the definition said it, it fills the red-pilled person with both envy and resentment at the same time. <laughs> uh, getting friend-zoned is on there. The looks ladder, one to 10. Um, negging a girl like being negative towards a girl so that mm. she likes you. This is like a mm. tactic or a technique. Mm -hmm. red, pull, red pill rage. This is <laughs> when you're ang when you got anger against the matriarchy. Mm. Uh, so there's a bunch of things going on here. Um, look, I, I would just say that the online world isn't real when people say weird stuff and go down weird rabbit holes. Occasionally this stuff gets out of the, gets out of the um, online world mm -hmm. and you get like, mass shooters yeah there was that one up in Santa Barbara guy was basically like one of these incel types that you know couldn't get a woman to be with him and he just started killing women mm. um, so on occasion this stuff leaks out so to this guy's point yeah like you start if you get sucked in any of these weird um, online communities you can go down a rabbit hole you can get radicalized Right, whether you're, you can get rad. You, if you're a young Muslim guy, you might get radicalized into extreme Islam. If you're a young white dude, you might get radicalized into white supremacy. If you're a young black dude, you might get radicalized into black power. Like all these things can happen. They can definitely happen through these types of situations. Uh, so you know, I, I guess my comment here is like, there's mobs on the internet. And if you join the mob, you can go to a bad place. So I would say, don't be, just don't, don't join the mob, man. <laughs> uh, and and so, what do you do? Like, how do we? You know, the question is, you know, how does this? How do you think it could potentially impact growing boys and young men? I think most men, most young boys, will look around and be like, oh yeah, yeah, those, they, you know, they go talk to a girl, and she's pretty nice, and. They go on a date and it's all good, right? Yeah. This this is like what happens when you are despondent, when you get rejected, and all of a sudden you find a place where you can find comfort. Same thing with like, hey, I didn't get the job. I didn't get the job I wanted, but this Mexican guy got it. I don't like Mexican people. Oh, and there's also black people that got a job. They don't like me because I'm white. I hate them. And next thing you know, you're white supremacist. Or... What, you know, what, you can go down that rabbit hole with any of these things. It starts with a little bit of frustration, then you start reading about it, then you start getting these people uh, with their circular arguments, and you end up in a bad spot. So I just don't, I, I, and I think most people recognize that the real world is not reflective of what the online world is. The thing that's scary about the online world is it brings together a bunch of people that normally wouldn't be able to talk. Normally there'd be like one guy that got rejected by a bunch of girls in Cincinnati and he doesn't really talk to anybody about it because he's just by himself. And then there's some other dude in Detroit that was getting rejected and he doesn't feel like anyone likes him and there's someone else in LA. Mm -hmm. And those people never get to talk to each other and like go like, hey, this sucks. Mm -hmm. So instead they just kind of go through life and they don't, 
they, they, they just that just sucks for them. They go through life. Yeah. Same thing with like a white supremacist. Same thing with like a radical Islam person. Like normally they'd just be like, man, I freaking don't like the way people are looking at me, or I don't like the way that that my job is going, and I think it's because of them. Yeah. Normally, you wouldn't get to talk to a bunch of other people that feel like that. Well, the internet connects everybody. The small group of people that are pissed, Mm -hmm. they get together. So the good thing is, is that as you're going down the rabbit hole of, you know, hating women, you're actually also going to Starbucks and like the waitress girl, the barista, she's pretty nice to you. Mm. You know, like she's not like, I hate you, Mm. you know? And if she is, then go to a different, you know, coffee shop, right? So I think that where this stuff luckily dies most of the time is in the real world. In the real world. Now, can you you make it into a self-fulfilling prophecy? Yes, you can. Mm -hmm. You sure can. You sure can make it into a self-fulfilling prophecy. But if you just say, oh, yeah, it's weird, you know, internet stuff and it's uh, a mob and I'm not going to participate in it. Cool. And then treat people with respect and help them. And, and that includes men and women and be, be at the same time, you know, you, you do got to be cautious. Like if you're a dude and you f- fall head over heels over the first girl that you meet, mm, there's a decent chance you're going to get screwed over and you're going to be mad. That's okay. It's no big deal. That's just the way life is. Sometimes there's bad people out there. Give trust slowly, but but in order to actually live a normal life, you got to take some risk with your trust, and you're going to get your heart broken a couple times. So that's what happens in life when you get your heart broken. Instead of like going on uh, the internet into Reddit and finding other people that are pissed, instead go out and talk to someone else and have a good time. (laughs) And all this being said, bro, you're on the path. You got your blue belt in jujitsu. You're 23 years old. You're going to join the army, like go to flight school as a warrant. That's awesome. I don't think you have to worry about this stuff. And you can be a positive influence on a bunch of other people. And the people that are trying to out there in the world trying to do good will overpower the people that are out there trying to be negative. That's my answer. So in the, I, I, I've, come across the red pill scenario, right? So you know what that, well, first off, the red pill guys would say, well, Jocko's blue pill. So red pill, blue pill, you know what that's from, right? What movie? It's from the Matrix. The Matrix, right? So um, yeah, it's one of those things where you're like, you're in look, I don't know, I'm not in the community, so I'm probably going to get some of this wrong, but this is what it seems like. Like you have like some guys on the internet that kind of put themselves in this leadership prophecy position or whatever. So they know all the rules. They know all the stats on marriage and how guys are disenfranchised and all this. They know all the stats, mm-hmm. all this stuff, right? And <clears throat> so they advocate for a bunch of stuff. Some of it actually makes sense mm-hmm. where it's like, hey, don't focus on trying to get with girls. Focus on trying to improve yourself as a mate kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think like any like weird community, I think sometimes, and I don't know, I don't know the, the, the what do you call the canon, but this is what it seems like mm-hmm. I'm hearing is like, yeah, girl, don't don't treat girls as if they're your equal because they're not. They suck in all these ways and they're tricking you because they have this like privilege of being beautiful and all this stuff. And you got to work for your privilege. So now we're going to make them work for their stuff. Kind of a thing. That's what it seems like. It seems like they're trying to do like some good for the disenfranchised man in this kind of weird way. Yeah, man, I think the real world will. The real world, in my mind, usually ends up ends yeah. up winning, right? The re- real life yeah. will beat the internet. Right. Even though it may not, if you spend a bunch of time on the internet, it seems like the internet's winning. Yes. Like if you don't talk to people and you just go to Twitter, like that's, the world seems crazy. Yeah. But don't go to Twitter to get your, your data of yeah. what the world's like. Go talk to a person. Yeah. Go talk to a girl. I think it spawned out of the, you know, the whole pickup artist community. I think it came from that. Mm-hmm. I think so. But I don't know. Yeah, I guess we can. Maybe this is one we need to go in a little more depth on. There's a lot there, yeah. man. And I was like, even as I googled, I was like, what is going well, on? Yeah, the thing that's that kind of really stuck out, like I said, was like they got this like fr- directly from the Matrix, like the ideas, and then even the name mm. Red Pill. And then you it, don't go down the rabbit. Well, actually, go down the rabbit hole. I don't know. Mm. Whatever you want to learn. There was one where there's this guy, and he's like, he was like teasing another guy. Like, not teasing him, but kind of putting him down because mm-hmm. he was blue pill. 
Mm. And he was like one of the main leaders of the red pill, apparently, from what I understand or whatever. Anyone that's trying to be a man. Yeah, that's calling other people these Another matrix man. names no. is kind of funny. <laughs> that's exactly exactly right, and he's all serious about it, like dead serious. Yeah. Not this isn't he's not making some metaphoric like he's dead serious calling this other <laughs> blue blue pill like it was some big insult. Yeah. So that's what stu- like stuck out Check. to me. But hey, man, do what you dig, man. If it works for you, it works for you. Yeah. I would recommend not doing that because you should go in the real world and talk to people. Not that bad, you know? Get better. I don't think so. All right, last question. Hello, Jocko. I recently had a shooting at my college campus. Oh, damn. Thankfully, I was not on campus at the time the shooting occurred, and neither were my friends. Uh, however, the recent shooting was brought, was brought active, or the recent shooting has brought active shooter uh, preparedness back into my field of vision. Unfortunately, since I'm a Gen Z, active shooter situation have been a, situations have been a large part of my reality growing up. Because of that, the run, the hide, the run, hide, fight tactics have been drilled into me from an early age. However, I'm also worried about running into the line of gunfire. Should I be faced with an active shooter situation? Any advice for how to avoid running straight into the shooter's line of fire? Is there any magic way to determine where the gunfire is coming from, especially if shots are fired indoors? Also, if you're unable to run or hide from the shooter, how do you fight the shooter without getting shot yourself? Thanks for all the advice. <sighs> yeah, uh, pretty terrible. We have to talk about this, but it is worth talking about. It. I know I've reviewed this with uh, my kids. Uh, just a couple things to remember: if you hear rapid fire, like machine gun fire, like pop, 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 like that, get down and find cover. And what cover means is something that will stop bullets. So don't hide behind a bush. A bush won't stop bullets. Hide behind a concrete wall. Hide behind an engine block. Hide behind, a, yeah, well, something like that. Hide behind a planter. So that's what you need to hide behind. If you hear single shots, pop, 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 run. Because it's very difficult to shoot a moving target. It's really hard. And some dipshit school shooter is not going to be well trained enough to shoot you as you're running while there's a bunch of chaos going on so if you hear that sort of machine gun fire take cover find somewhere to get down on the ground take cover hide and then and then once there's a lull in that fire you run you get up and run um so that's those are like two basic premises, and get just get away from where this is happening. Uh, fighting a person with a gun. I mean, if you're attacking a person that has a loaded gun that's shooting, it's it's going to be very very challenging. You're probably going to get shot and die. What you want to do is wait for a reload. So you wait for a little lull. You wait to hear someone changing magazines or something like that, and then you freaking run and attack them. And hopefully you're you know well a. Let's face it, I guess I don't know if you're in college. Yeah, college campus. So I don't know if you're allowed to concealed carry there, but hopefully you just wait till they run out of you know changing magazines and you kill them with your weapon. Uh, if it's not that's not the situation, well, hopefully you at least have a knife on you. You can stick the knife in t- and kill them. Hopefully you're training jiu-jitsu, you're training Muay Thai, you're training boxing so you can be prepared for hand-to-hand combat with somebody. And again, we're talking about a dire situation because the me- the thing we want to do in life is we want to de-escalate. We don't want to get in freaking street fights with idiots. But if someone's trying to kill a bunch of people, yeah, you might have to go for it. That's why we train. Um, another, just a key point, like remember what you see. Like remember what the guy's wearing. Remember what, how many weapons. Does he have body armor on? Like So that way you can go and tell cops, like, hey, this is what I saw. This is the guy I saw. He's wearing this. He's dressed like that. He's... You know, this is his description. So these are all things to think about. Um, as far as where gunshots are coming from, in an, in an urban environment, so if you're in like a campus, a college campus, and there's shots being fired, and you're outside, and they're outside, it can be, can be hard. It can be really hard the way those things bounce. If you're ever in a city, and there's sirens going off, and you like look over to your left, and then all of a sudden the siren comes from the right, it's hard, the, the dynamics of audio is very difficult in an urban environment like that. But when you're in a building and there's shots fired, it's usually pretty clear where it's coming from. Like you, down the hallway, you can tell. 
So then jump out the window and run away. Run the other direction. <laughs> That's what we're doing. The hide thing I really don't like too much. Well, I want to skip that step as much as possible. You know, because when you're hiding, usually you didn't, the reason you're hiding is probably because you don't have an exit. I don't like being in a situation where I don't have an exit. I don't want my kids to be in a situation where they don't have an exit. You should walk into a room. I mean, look, everyone should be doing this. You walk into a room, where's the exit? Where's the alternate exit? Where's the tertiary exit? Like, I'm going to pick up this chair, throw it that window, and I'm going to jump out. Oh, you know the restaurant. Oh yeah, there's the uh, there's the primary entrance to the restaurant. There's the secondary. Oh, and by the way, the third one is through the kitchen. You get in the kitchen, you're gonna be able to get out. So so think about these things. Cafeteria, you're in there. Where are the exits? And and people in the moments, in the initial moments of, a, of an assault happening, the assaulters themselves don't have good cognition as to what's happening. So like the, the time to move is immediately. Like, like I said, if you hear like machine gun fire, don't move, get down, hide. As soon as that stops, get up and run. People talk about running in a zigzag pattern. Yeah, if you gotta go like a long distance in an open field, maybe a little bit of zigzag is help. Um, so you can think about that as well. But that's, that's what we're doing, man. That's what we're doing. The biggest piece of it, the biggest piece of advice here, rapid fire, bop, 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 hide, get down, get cover. As soon as that stops, get up, run as fast as you freaking can. If it's single shots, run. Sorry, we gotta talk about this. Um, so there you go. It's a rough world out there. We got shootings. We got red pills. We got all kinds of mayhem going on. <laughs> but even through all that mayhem, we thank you for joining us on the underground. We appreciate it. We like hanging out with you. And we will see you next time where we'll be here free on the underground. And until next time, this is Echo and Jocko. Out.